You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season whether i was out west during my elk hunt south dakota mule deer hunt or my rut vacation in iowa i was on my phone using onyx maps every part of the day whether i was looking at terrain features uh on the topographic and and satellite maps that they offer on their uh Uh, on their app or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location I used Onyx Maps every single day and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map. And uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before. I had to wait till sunup and then and then you know find it that way. But that problem does not exist anymore because of onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that i think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So onyxmaps.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're joined by Eric Ives of the great state of Wisconsin. And what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about his 2019 hunting season, public land, scouting, how he connected with the deer, what he looks for when he's scouting. Just uh, It's a really good BS session, and that's what uh, this episode's about. Uh, before we get into today's episode, though, I got to do a commercial, and it is with Prime Archery, Prime Bows. Now, for the last two years, these guys have really put out some great shooting bows. Uh, the Logic two years ago, last year was the CT3. I shot both of those. And this year, they come out with the Black Series. I went and I shot the entire lineup, the entire Black Series lineup at the ATA show recently. And I tell you what, man, as much as this makes me sound like a douchebag, they did it again, right? I hate I hate when people say that, but they put out a, another really good lineup of bows, man. Uh, I think I'm really impressed with their draw cycle to be honest with you i love the draw cycle on a prime i love that the the zero hand shock uh the i guess if you want to call it forgiveness there's some really good forgiveness with with their bows but i feel like it's just really easy to shoot it's a really good bow and uh what i always say is find a dealer and just go shoot one and make your own decision right find a dealer I think it's worth it. Go shoot a prime bow. And if you have, if you have any questions or need more information about prime archery, 
go to their website, primarchery.com, and uh, take a look of all new their new lineup and their old lineup. And uh, man, just shoot a prime. Other than that, I think uh, we get right into today's BS episode with Eric Ives of Wisconsin. All right, everybody, coming in from the great white north of Wisconsin, uh, today's guest is Eric Ives. Eric, what's up, man? Oh, not much. Just enjoying my Friday off here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hear that. I, I, I don't know. Right now in Iowa, we're just getting ready to get smoked by a big snow and ice storm. Uh, what's it looking like up there? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I think right around 3 o'clock this afternoon, we got big storm system coming through here. So, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to getting the shovels out. <laughs> yeah, this time of year, um, I don't know. I feel like when it comes to weather, the older I get, I'll bitch about the weather no matter what whether it's hot or cold or average out. I'm just like, ah, it's too hot. It's too cold. Uh, and uh, I hate that because that means I'm, I'm becoming more like my grandparents and my, and my dad or my stepdad and my mom. It just, it's a sign of getting old, I guess. Uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. Although, I don't know, being from Green Bay, Wisconsin, my parents taught me at a young age to appreciate the weather no matter what it is. That's why... You know, I enjoy ice fishing, and right. you know, then spring comes. You got the blue gales, and uh, and then after that, here comes hunting season, and that's what we all live for. That's so. right. <laughs> that's right. All right. So you mentioned uh, you live you live in Green Bay, right, or in the area? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, just from the outside looking in, like I'm not a huge sport like NFL football I follow the Iowa Hawkeyes and really that's about it um but I just feel like all my friends who are Green Bay Packers fans are a step above the rest of the Green Bay Packer fans or uh, not above the Green Bay Packer but from the rest of the NFL teams they get real defensive when you talk crap on their team or you know like uh, I don't know, just like the, they're always the best team and they always get robbed and they always, you know, like how how hardcore fans usually operate. Um, is is it crazy up there during football season as far as uh, the oh, Packers are concerned? It is absolutely insane. I just went to the game versus the Seahawks uh, last Sunday and this is the first day I've been able to talk. So. Yeah. It's a good thing we had to push this podcast back a little bit because <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> right, right. Um, have you ever been in uh, in the the area, like the end zone, where they jump into the crowd? I have not been. I have not gotten a Lambo leap yet. I have not gotten a Lambo leap. I've sat in a lot of areas in the stadium, but haven't gotten one of those yet. Yeah. Although, I do have a cool story. Back in the early 90s when they had this thing called the Packer Band, my grandpa was the director of it, and I got to help set up the equipment and stand on the field, and I almost got run over by one of the players one time while setting up equipment, so that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, (laughs) I got one of my my buddies, he was sitting there, and they Packer, you know, right around the Lambeau Leap area. And the, yeah. they scored a touchdown. One of the dudes jumped in to the stands, and they took a picture of him. And I think they made a poster out of it. So his face <laughs> was all over Wisconsin and the NFL for that picture of this guy jumping into uh, jumping into the crowd. So it was pretty cool to see. You know, every time they talk about the Packers, there's my buddy's face. Uh, because the clip, awesome. the clip was so cool, but, but yeah, dude, uh, Green Bay. I got my buddy Curtis. He lives up in Green Bay. He really likes hunting Wisconsin. Um, and you sent me a message through Instagram, and on this message, it said, uh, you know, you showed me a picture of uh, the buck you killed on public. How much public is around the Green Bay area or uh, Wisconsin as a whole? I mean, is it? Is there a lot to where a guy could go out and just find well, a, new, a new stand every day? Yeah, that's my favorite part about living in Wisconsin is the amount of like public, but not only the public land, the diversity that comes along with it. Like 
the southwestern part of the state, you got hill country. Up north, you got the big woods. Out east, you got marshes. So it's just whatever you want to hunt, we have it. I mean, even in parts of Wisconsin, there's areas that feel like Kansas because it's a lot of CRP type stuff. So, right. like, pretty much got it all here. So can't complain about that. Do you tend to stay close to home, or do you travel uh, throughout the state? Well, well, I'm originally from Green Bay, but I live in a city in southwestern Wisconsin right now. So okay. I primarily hunt the southwestern part of the state. Gotcha. How close are you to the Mississippi yeah. River? I'm pretty darn close to the Mississippi. Okay. Probably about 50 minutes away or so. Okay. So do you live closer to the Mississippi or do you live closer to Madison? Kind of kind of right in between. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, one of my buddies uh, drove or used to live in uh, Stoughton, right south of Madison, uh, right okay. on the lake there. Yep. Oh, my God. I tell you what, yep. Ma- Madison, Wisconsin is a fun town. <laughs> say that again yeah it is a it's a great town yeah great especially i'll be honest with you game day for college football uh whenever i would go up there to watch the iowa and and wisconsin play it was really i mean just a fun atmosphere yeah Yeah, it's a it's a super fun atmosphere up there i got a question for you have you ever been to bennett's the bar Bennett's. Uh, I have not. I have not. <laughs> I'm going to have to put that one on the list. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe, maybe not. Depends on, because I'm going to tell you about it right now. Right. And I'm all sorry. Right. I'm all over the place today with this, but, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Bennett's is a bar or back in the day, uh, when I was in, you know, my twenties, they had a, they had, before all the Badger games, they had something called smut and eggs. <laughs> And so you could go to this bar, you know, order breakfast, drink beer, but they had like 1970s pornos playing on about 13 different televisions the entire day of the, uh, of the, of the game. And I I know that sounds like really derogatory, but it is hilarious to walk into a bar and watch, watch, uh, watch that go on. So uh, I, there's, I would have to say they probably don't do that anymore. You never know in Wisconsin. Right, right, <laughs> right. All right. So back to the, back to the story here. Um, okay, public, you hunt on the south, uh, the south. You're currently living, you know, closer to the southwest side. Um, do you yep. do you strictly hunt like archery down there, and then do you have like a hunt camp where you go up north towards the family, or what's your what? How do you break down your year? Well, kind of my year starts off with hunting down here in southwestern Wisconsin, pretty much for you know all the way till gun season. Then when uh, archery closes down for gun season, actually I shouldn't say it closes down, but you're allowed to hunt archery during gun season. But during gun season, I have a small little private farm back home that I hunt with some family members. Uh, just, I feel a lot safer hunting private during gun season in Wisconsin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you never know what you're around to. I've had a couple shells go past my head on public. So, <laughs> yeah, man, so I, I think it's a private. Yeah, I think we've all gun. been there before. If you're a gun hunter, I mean, that's that's the reason yeah. I don't hunt. I I haven't party hunted with a gun yeah oh man i want to say like 12 years now it's been a long time since i've uh like gone out and done a group shotgun thing i went out with my wife one uh two years ago uh yeah and i don't know it's it gets crazy and i'd i'd rather just be a bow hunter at least now anyway yeah 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 and i i do it more for the camaraderie right. thing during the gun season anyway so it's more of you know, checking in how everybody did during archery season and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so talk to us uh, about this buck that you uh, that you shot this year. I'm out of curiosity. I'm uh, was this harvested in the southwest in hill country? Yeah, yeah, it was in the hill country. Okay, in the southwestern part of the part of the state. Uh, Unlike some of your other guests, I don't have much of a story with this buck. Okay. It was pretty much 
reading signs and going in after them. All like right. You've talked about in the past. Yeah, I'm not a sitter. I'm a, I go after it. Right. So a, a little bit, uh, a mover and a shaker. You like being mobile, just like, you know, just like myself. Um, well, yeah. let's break down, uh, how you approach uh, a piece of property then I did. Is this a property that you just walked up on and shot, shot a deer or did you go no. and scout it through p- previous years or early season or postseason scouting from the previous year? Okay. So if we go back to actually last year, um, I shot a buck, I believe November 6th last year. So okay. after getting that deer processed, I'm like, I got to get back to the grind here. And the best time to scout is like during season, during the rut to see, you know, what patterns are coming up. So I think a couple of days later, I'm like, I got to get out scouting. So I started looking at maps and there was two different properties that were bigger tracts of land. And I noticed a smaller chunk of, of land in between these. And I'm like, hmm, I'm going to go check that out. So I checked the smaller property out and the sign in there was outstanding. It, it was some of the best sign I saw all year. So, um, what sign? Fast forward, uh, high rubs, um, probably about waist high to chest high. Um, lots of scrapes, lots of uh, buck beds, doe beds, uh, pretty much everything that you want to look for during during the rut time period. Yeah. Okay. So were you focused when you went in and started this scouting, were you focused on any specific terrain? Were you just trying to get as far back as you could or what were you specifically looking for as far as terrain was concerned, you know, and, and when you found good terrain, did you also find good sign? Yeah. Yeah. So this property is actually, it's not very big. It's just, pretty much right alongside the road there's no going in you know two miles deep or anything like that i uh, just looked to be an overlooked property and when i started scouting it in hill country obviously you, you look for betting off points so i marked all the points of interest on this map and on on those points that jut out um noticed that it was super thick but it would open up into hardwoods when they were looking down in the valley. Right. So like they talked about, they got the, the cover to the back and they can look down the hills for, for visual type bedding. So that's what I was focused on. And I noticed most of those were back in that thick cover. So it seemed like a perfect rut setup because those bucks could just bed down one of those doe bedding areas. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you learned all this from just scouting or uh, did you end up getting in there and actually getting some hunting done last year uh, to, to actually find out how the deer were moving through what you scouted? Well, what I did, um, I, I never got in there actually hunting, but what I do on my Onyx map is after I find the bedding location, I then walk all pretty much all the trails so like after i scouted it i was able to go back home look on my desktop and it showed you know kind of how they were moving throughout the property based off you know getting those brug crim uh brug crumb uh tracks if you know what i'm saying yeah so okay that, that's, that's how i was able to figure out the movement pattern let me ask you this and i think this is uh you know everybody talks about bedding areas and, yep. you know, yeah, I found a bedding area. What does, in, in your opinion, a bedding area look like? A bedding area to me ha- has points, but it also has, like, edge to it. Something where they got cover to their back. It, it doesn't happen like this in all instances, in my opinion, because there's been some open hardwoods where, uh, just the terrain has set up where they can see. So hey, pretty much any time the deer has the total advantage over somebody. Yeah. Okay. Um, so do you think that that betting equals thick cover or betting equals terrain or 
or can it be do you think it could be something because i'm going to voice my opinion on this after you you say what you think yeah to me i think it's a mix of of everything i I don't think it has to be super thick i don't although at times i feel it does have to be super thick it's really property dependent i mean because i've been on some open properties where there's just maybe uh, 50 by 50 patch of thick stuff where, you know, they, they bed on the edges of that and they can just uh, go out the back door. It, it's really what I've seen is it can be a mix. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. Um, I, I have some property and I'm not talking about just mature bucks. I'm talking about deer bedding in general. And, uh, I've noticed, you know, obviously deer like edge and deer love real thick, nasty stuff. But if you can find a, I I know that I hunt in some big drainages that have some valleys and and the timber, it's an older timber. It's it's more wide open. It's not near as thick, but when they get to the points and they'll bed in an area that may not be as thick as somewhere else, but has a great uh-huh. terrain depression or um, a terrain feature on it that allows them to be below the below the high point or below the horizon so they can smell something yep. coming off the top um, that I think that that might be a little bit overlooked as far as yeah. I, as far as bedding areas concerned I, I think that bedding can be a multiple uh, a multiple different things uh, and when you get yeah. all of those things, together like edge thick cover and terrain it's a win-win-win but that doesn't necessarily yep. mean that the deer are going to be using that particular bedding yeah yeah i can just throw out an example on this property that i was hunting there happened to be a point right next to the parking lot and uh just noticed that there was some beds actually walking the parking lot and it it was pretty open so it's like if those deer could see right in the parking lot, they would just take out the back, go out the back door on you, and it wasn't thick or anything like that. So, yeah, it, it can be so property dependent. Yeah. All right. So you go through, you locate uh, these beddings, uh, bedding areas. Now, talk to me a little bit. You mentioned it already, but talk to me how you use Onyx to your advantage because. You know, I hate, they're a partner of the network. So coming out of my mouth, it's a little bit biased, but this is a tool that I think whether you're a public land hunter or you're just a hunter in general, that that it's a tool that is absolutely amazing. Oh yeah. It it has changed the way I've hunt. Besides just locating landowners, locating private properties. uh, I mean, after identifying uh, bedding areas, using that breadcrumb trail, just hop on those trails. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and just follow it, to, you know, whether it's going to a food source, whether it's hopping to a doe bedding area. It just really, really yeah. um, shows how deer have moved through the property. And it's hard to see that when you're on the ground. But yeah. when you go back to your computer and look at it from a 5,000-foot view, you can really see how deer move through a property. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, being able to look at a topographic map uh, mm-hmm. is is awesome. But then looking at a topographic map while you are out on the property itself, then you can put those two together and really get to learn how to read properly read a topographic map um and just because there's topo lines there doesn't mean that it's going to capture every single um every single terrain feature that's out there just because you know the way the topo the topo lines lay and the distance between them and whatnot but uh Mm -hmm. so do you rely on the breadcrumbs and the trails that you lay to get to some of these tree stand locations let's say like in the dark Oh yeah, oh yeah. If if I didn't have Onyx, I mean, I would get lost all the time yeah. going in the morning. <laughs> it would not be fun. Right. <laughs> I've I've been there, done that. 
Yeah, I hear that, man. All right, so you you go, you do your scouting, you 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 collect data, so to speak. You find the the betting areas. Yeah. Now, talk to us about what you do as far as access route to those really good areas that you find, because obviously, different winds mean the deer are using terrain differently, and different winds also mean that your access route should or or, or should be different. Well, talk us through how you identified different access routes. So access routes can change so much from day to day. Yeah. Uh, in, in this example uh, where I killed this buck, I was really paying attention to the wind direction because it, for this way, for the day I was hunting, the wind was actually wrong to access it, but I paid attention to when the winds were the strongest and when they were the lightest. Yeah, because when I was accessing the stand this day, I was like, okay, I got a, a wrong wind, but I noticed that the wind's supposed to be like two or three miles an hour, so I knew it wasn't super strong to be be blown in that bedding area. Right, and that's when I went in and attacked for that day. So, okay, because um, there's only one way to get into that stand. There, there's not multiple ways to get into this property, so. It was a gamble that uh, that I just knew I had to do. Okay. All right. So the access routes were limited. Um, and so basically you had to be patient. You could, you just couldn't push into yeah. that, uh, to that area on any wind. Yep. Yep. Okay. It, and that's, yeah. And every day I like it. Yeah. <laughs> every property can be different. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's talk about this setup then. Uh, I want you to walk us through from the time that you left your uh, left your truck to the time that you got to the tree. Walk us through that access route. Talk to us about what the wind was doing uh, during that access route and while you were in okay. the tree. And then just kind of paint a picture of what you were looking at when you finally got up into the tree stand. Okay. Um, I'll actually start off by the the night before, if that, that that's cool. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. So I got on this, I got on this property. So I was walking to uh, a preconceived stand that I had in my mind that I wanted to get to. Noticed that there was a spike, and I, I kept on walking it further, and that's when this big mature buck, I bumped him out of his bed. It was super interesting because once I bumped him out of his bed, I, I got in hunt mode. And what this buck did, he got to, to my downwind side, like five yards away from me. And we stared eye to eye for, I don't know, probably about three or four seconds. And he took off. So what I did, instead of being like, oh, crap, I screwed this up, I paid attention to where that mature buck went to. And based on my past scouting, I saw that he was going to uh, – one of the bit, one of the bucks bedding areas um, that I had learned about in my preseason scouting the year before. So knowing that the wind would be switching to a different point on the next day, I think the wind was switching to north. I knew that I had to get into a bedding area that's set up for a north wind. Right. And this was where my my access was key because the next morning um, I noticed that the wind was still wrong and right around nine o'clock or so it was lightly coming out of north. I'm like, I got to attack them. So that's when I, I got out of my vehicle, it was light north, north wind, like I said, and I walked, uh, they have little trails that you, little hiking trails that you can walk onto. Uh, I noticed several big rubs across the ridge as I was walking towards towards the stand location, which got me more pumped up and more pumped up as time went on. And uh, I noticed once I got to within 50 yards of my stand location that I was actually going to have to uh, go over um, the trail that I thought they would be working on. And what I did when accessing the stand is I made sure that I only crossed that trail in one spot. And I did it quickly. I didn't let my scent linger around in that area. And then I had to decide between um, 
a couple different trees, ended up deciding on a tree. The tree was pretty difficult to get up into because there's lots of limbs all over the place. Um, and I had to make a choice if I could pull off the sitting shot because in this tree I was in, it, there was too many branches to where I couldn't even stand up or anything like that. Okay. So was that kind of a oh shit moment for you or were you comfortable with the outcome after getting up into the tree? Uh, I, I, I was pretty comfortable because I, I'm pretty flexible in my stand setup. As long as I can pull my drop, pull my bow back, that's pretty much all, all I right. care about. <laughs> okay. All right. So you, you get set up and what are you, what are you looking at? What does it look like from the, uh, from the tree and was there any fresh sign that you could observe from the stand? Yeah. So I was right in the middle of a big bedding area. It was thick. It was nasty. It was thorny. I thought I needed an IV <laughs> <laughs> after uh, looking at my arms and stuff like that. But some of the stuff that I noticed um, after in the location was there's three-and-a-half-fingered traps going through there. I saw several different uh, beds right around the stand. Um, as I was getting up in the tree, I heard two different deer below um, that were downwind of me, so I knew that there was deer there. Um, right. No doubt in my mind. And There was, uh, I believe, two or three different good-sized rubs that were um, about high to to belly button height. So I, I was feeling pretty good about the setup. Okay. All right. So how long, I mean, how long did it take until deer started making their way? Were they cautious? Did they come in the way that you wanted them to? Because I, I, I saw the video you sent me cause you filmed this and it looked like it got pretty hairy there for a while. <laughs> yeah, it did. So I was set up for about 30 minutes or so before, I noticed uh, a doe at about 100 yards um, to my west, and I'm like, I better pay attention because I know there's some good deer in the area. And uh, looking close, closely behind her, I saw another deer, and after they wor worked about 75 yards, I was like, that's a shooter. Like, no doubt. Like, I didn't have to think about it. It's like one of those moments where you're like, shooter. <laughs> So um, then the deer continued, continued to work from west to east towards my stand. They, they took their good old time uh, to get towards my location. Looks like they were uh, feeding off some green leaves and stuff like that. And that buck was locked down with that doe. Um, it was actually super interesting watching that buck uh, tend to that doe because he was making some of the most deep guttural grunts I've ever heard. Oh yeah, and any time she got, I don't know, fifty yards away or or more, he would just run so deep and like I don't know, <laughs> so like uh, he he was like a domestic abuse buck or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've never seen anything like it before, and yeah, it's like she listened to him. Like she wasn't going out, yeah, going too far away from from that buck. So, was that the buck that you ended up shooting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But so they were locked down pretty tight, right? Yeah. And at what at one point uh, in the video that you sent me, and uh, we'll we'll get to you know where everybody can listen, watch the video. But it it sounds to me like you almost got busted. Yeah. Yeah. So as I got closer, um, the deal ended up bedding down uh, about 10 yards away from my stand location and the buck was about uh, 25 yards away or so and she got up out of her bed and she uh, pointed her nose towards the direction I had access from and you could tell that her body language completely changed and I was just amazed that I just went through that area for I don't know five seconds or so yeah and she picked she got downwind of that tent, and I was like, okay, something's not right here. So she began to stomp I don't know how many times, and I'm like, 
this is not good. This is not good. What was the Bucks' um, reaction when she started doing that? The Bucks' reaction actually benefited me because he started walking towards her. Yeah, and he began to stomp, and they they were both they were both stopping at the same time. And uh, once uh, he got uh, within twenty three yards or so, I almost had a gap to shoot. And, um, yeah, that's when I began to draw, I guess. Gotcha. That's funny. You know, it's like early season, that buck probably would have just taken off. But when they're all horned up like that, man, I've had times where, you know, a doe pegs me in a tree. Maybe I'm moving or it comes uh, downwind or whatever, and there's a buck behind her. And he obviously is just focused on her. And he ends up pushing her through. And then, you know, if it was a, if it was a potential shooter, it would have given me an opportunity for a shot, but it's crazy how, I don't know, like a a doe, it's almost like, I always joke about it. It's almost like the doe wants you to shoot the buck. (laughs) She knows you're there. She knows she's safe, but she wants you to shoot the buck that ended up, uh, that that's chasing her just to get him off of her yeah and i think you've said it in past past podcast where the doe's behavior is almost like the buck's behavior yeah. <laughs> during the rut and, yeah. and, and the bucks kind of turned into the doe so yeah um, yeah just kind of interesting how they reverse roles almost <laughs> all right so um he so they start to move he bumps her out and then you you're getting you get an opportunity walk us uh through what happens there yeah, so that's when I came to full draw, and there just happened to be some thick stuff in the way right when I decided, all right, I needed that buck to move like six more inches to my right. And I got drawn for a minute, minute 10, minute 15, minute 20. And I was like, man, I'm starting to get fatigued here. And I was like, suck it up. This is the time <laughs> to just... Do whatever you can to keep this bulger on back. So eventually his stomping gave me the opportunity because he had eventually moved his back leg forward about three feet. And that's when he gave me a little window. uh, I would say about a three or four inch window to um, execute the shot. I tend to shoot right when I'm fatigued, and that came to fruition when I released the arrow. So you hit him uh, a little forward. Ended up shooting the bucket, yeah, a lot forward. A lot forward, okay. <laughs> ended up shooting, yeah, shot him right in the neck. Ooh. But even though it was an ugly shot, it was uh, a very effective shot because uh, yeah. after doing an autopsy, it uh, cut that artery, hit him right in the spine, uh, and just the way he went down was super super cool like i've never seen a buck just drop like shut off drive right into the ground like that yeah, yeah. i've only done that yeah, with that two deer uh see my buck my buck from 2016 i believe it was yeah my buck from 2016 i spined him he was like straight underneath me real close he tr- he just went down and i put another arrow in him like real real quick and then I shot a doe uh, several years before that. I want to say like 2011 or something like that, where I, I hit her a little high and spined her and just she shut off. It was like she just she was dead before she even hit the ground. Um, and then, you know, some of these bad shots, obviously, there's so many ways that an animal can die. And it was a 2012. Yeah. The buck I shot, I grunted. And I had him broadside at like 15 yards. And I, I had a cameraman in the tree with me at that point. And so I drew back and my elbow was blocking the view of the camera. And the camera guy's like, don't, don't shoot, don't shoot. So he swings out wide. And by that time, the deer had taken a 90 degree turn and started walking right towards the tree. And he was close enough. I would say he was like at five you know, five, six, seven yards, really close, straight down. And I was going to put it right in his chest, right, right, right below the white spot. And if I hit him right, uh, 
it would have went right into the the cavity you know the the lungs and caused a lot of damage he probably broke diaphragm on the back end but as he gets closer i'm at full draw i'm already lined up on him he stops i settle my pin and i notice him noticing my tree sticks my lone wolf tree sticks <laughs> and he follows the tree sticks up the tree to see me and the camera guy just like looking right down at him and his body <laughs> i just watch his body get, get tense and as i release he drops and loads to take off you know how their whole bodies drop they load and take yep. off hit him right yep. through i hit him right through the nostril and and you know it's it's not your typical ethical shot but it went through the nostril no down his throat one blade of the broadhead caught the neck opened it up and he was dead in 60 yards i mean it was oh, yeah. it was gr- it was a that. gruesome kill but you know sometimes some of it, it doesn't just it does we all know right bow hunting isn't perfect yep. you don't you don't heart shot him every single time no no no, no. What? yeah just last year i i had a really nice mature buck in the beginning of October and I got a little too excited and I botched a 12 yard shot and that's bow hunting for you. So mm-hmm. been there. That's a fact. <laughs> All right. So how he fell straight to the ground. Who's the first yep. person that did you have cell phone service at this point? Uh, spotty coverage, but good enough to get a text out. <laughs> yeah. Who's the first, who's the first person you text? The first person I texted that was actually uh, my buddy Bud. So, and because uh, me and him kind of bounce ideas off each other, we're you know we're, we're pretty in tune to, with, with each other. And yeah, he's the first person that I texted. So, and yeah, he was super excited. That's super awesome. Excited for me. That's awesome. So, yeah. And the, these oh, days, my first yeah. my first texts uh, or call is usually the wife. Except uh, not this year, but last year, last year, I texted my buddy Ryan because I knew the shot was off a little bit. So I called right. I called my right. buddy Ryan before I called my wife, and my wife got a little pissed at me because of that. She's like, "What? What do you mean? What, what do you mean you called Ryan first? You know why didn't Why didn't you call me every other year, year? You call me. Why didn't you call me? So I had to like come up with some bullshit excuse to why <laughs> to why I had to call Ryan before uh, before her. But all right, how far were yeah. you, How far were you from the truck? Uh, how far? Uh, I'd say less than a quarter mile. Less, Not very uh, far. Okay. Not very far at all. Okay. Cool. Cool. And uh, yeah, the best part about it was uh, it was a downhill drag. <laughs> so uh that yeah that's something i look for in these hill country spots believe it or not are you know how am i going to get those deer out of these big hills so i tend to look for you know steep ridges to go up to because not a lot of people want to go up those ridges but it's also nice when you uh want to drag a deer out downhill drag <laughs> that's a fact man so what about um what about the gear you're using um what walk us through the the your mobile setup so my mobile setup i i, I use xop for the stand and sticks okay. um the, i just getting into the mobile mobile arena i didn't have much experience with anything so i was looking for something on a budget they were comparable with lone wolf um and uh yeah, it, it, it works to get the job done. Other than that, uh, I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to a, my equipment. Um, I've got my bow. I've got, I actually use one of those string exercise backpacks because they're so small um, where I can fit my camera gear in there. Uh, other than that, I strap the la- my layering system to the stand itself. Other than that, not, not a whole, not a whole lot of gear comes with me to the stand. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do have to say, I, I, for for the stand and six stick setup, I wish I would have gone with Lone Wolf after four or five years of use of XLP. I just noticed with the moving parts of the stand that they tend to wear out after time, so I have to do quite quite a bit more maintenance than I care for. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think about adjusting my setup a little bit this coming year with uh, some other sticks. Okay. All right. Um, so how how long would you say you've been in the mobile arena then? Um, I've been hunting mobile for about uh, five years now. Yeah. I, I started. Yeah, I started to get into bow hunting uh, about six years ago, where I was just using a climber. Uh, I like seriously when I first started getting into bow hunting. Just getting up a tree and a climber was a huge success because I'm afraid of heights. So, yeah, yeah, and it it came off of listening to you, Mark, and getting on the hunting beast and and learning every all the knowledge that that I can uh, can get from anyone. And yeah, uh, yeah, and that's when you guys started talking about you know lone wolf being mobile, and that's when I started digging into you know, the public land mobile game. Yeah. Well, cool, dude. Uh, congratulations, man, on this buck. Uh, I'll be, I'll make sure I post the pictures, but you have the story online, uh, on YouTube. Where can, uh, where can people find it? Yeah. So we, uh, me and a couple of buddies have a YouTube channel. It's called, uh, red bearded predators. And we post anything to do with hunting, fishing, uh, we're starting to do some upwind game bird hunting and you can find it on our YouTube channel at red bearded predators. Uh, so awesome, dude. Well, uh, congratulations. And, and just so everybody who, uh, everybody knows if you put a picture of me and a picture of you kind of next, to, next to each other, it looks like we could be brothers because of the red beard game. <laughs> Your red beard game is pretty strong, dude. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> right, and right before I, I didn't even talk about it. How big? How old and big was this buck? Okay, so uh, they aged it at four and a half, five years old, just based off looking in the teeth. I haven't had them sent in yet. Right. Um, but that's what the biologist said when I got it tested for CWD. Oh, that's another part of the story that I forgot to mention. If we could talk about that quick. This deer actually did test positive for CWD. Okay. Um, that brings up a whole bunch of new sets of questions, so we're not done with this podcast yeah. yet. He, test, <laughs> he tested positive for CWD. Are yep. you going to eat that meat? Personally, I don't have any kids or anything. Uh, I have a girlfriend, but I will eat it personally. Okay. Um, the, way I look, the way I look at it is, you know, we see it on the news every day of people getting sick from E. coli, from lettuce at the grocery store, and, and just stuff like that. I'm like, it's pretty much the same risk that I'm taking, you know. Okay. Is that there, there probably is a risk, but, I mean, I could get sick from other food as well. So right. Okay. Why not eat it? <laughs> yeah. that's uh, And that's one of those things, you know, science says that, uh, you know, eating the meat will not, you know, there has not been a jump from, you know, deer to human yet based off of yep. meat consumption. And that, I guess the most, I don't know, I, I wish I, I'm not even, I don't even want to, you know, finish that sentence because I don't want to say the wrong thing and get and, and, right. and share the yep. wrong information. But as of right now, you can't get, you know, you can't, a human cannot get CWD from eating the meat. And, uh, Knowing that that deer tested positive for CWD, was there? Yeah. Did that change your mind about anything? As far as I know, it didn't about eat, eating the meat. But what about conservation? And I guess uh, I don't know. Like, did it change your mind or thoughts about CWD at all? Killing a CWD positive deer. For me. CWD, I, I it, it hasn't changed my mind at all on on hunting conservation or anything. Um, I, I just the way I look at it, CWD has been around for a long time now, and game managers and the DNR are I know they get a bad rap, but I believe that they're doing the best they can to give us the knowledge that we need yeah. to to manage the herd and and uh you know do the best they can to yeah 
basically saying it's a herd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I don't do any research about on CWD. Therefore, yeah. <laughs> uh, all of my opinions on CWD are based off of what research and science has shown. So uh, I'm yeah. just, I guess, re- just regurgitating information that's already out there. So, well, yeah, that's it, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's I, good to know. You're yeah. you're still, I guess, going to eat the meat. I don't know what I would do if I shot a deer and it was CWD positive. I do have kids and I don't know if there's enough information out there right now to sway me one way or the other to change what I'm currently doing. But, you know, I'm, I'm not just thinking about myself either. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're, yeah, I'm in a completely different situation. It's just me and my girlfriend and, uh, she's not going to eat meat. I would just feel so bad throwing all that meat away. And, you know, I always thank the deer when I kill them. And it just, it's, it, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think you just got to look at your own situation and do what's best for, for you, you and your family. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Now I can say, Eric, man, appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast and chat with us. Um, good luck in the upcoming future. And uh, I take it, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess real quick. You live in Wisconsin, therefore you ice fish. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love it. Love ice fishing. We get all the red-bearded, red-bearded predators and all the community out to go ice fishing. We love it. All right, dude. Hey, good luck ice fishing and good luck in the upcoming seasons. Thanks. And just one more thing. Take a kid fishing, take a kid hunt. Amen. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Eric for hopping on, chit-chatting with us. Huge shout out to all of you for following along, listening. Be sure you are subscribing to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast or the Sportsman's Nation podcast, Sportsman's Nation Whitetail podcast. You're going to get this content in both places. Other than that, hopefully everybody has a great weekend. I'm going to keep it short. Make sure you're following on social, blah, 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 blah. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. We have Vortex, The Average Conservationist, Prime, Ozonix, Wasp, and Lone Wolf, and Vortex. We've already mentioned those guys. But uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And that makes me happy if you do that. Other than that, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.